The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. We got the power to change the world. Many times we need to keep our health in check, but don't know what questions to ask or where to begin. We walk in blindly to our health care provider and walk out none the wiser and maybe even more confused than before. Can you take charge of your health and arm yourself with the questions and preparedness you need? The answer is yes. Welcome to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. This program will answer your questions and give you the best practices for facing your medical partner in good health. Now, here's Dr. Susan Downs. Hi, welcome to Occupy Health. This is Dr. Susan. Uh, many of speak, you know, brain is very important in our health. Many speakers have mentioned that many of the illnesses that we encounter affect the brain as well. And once the brain is affected, this long chain of inflammation, oxidative stress leads to a continuum of damage. Many speakers have discussed the butt blood, I mean, the brain gut connection. And many other speakers have mentioned that toxins such as glyphosate and electromagnetic frequencies, can open the barrier to the brain, which means all sorts of unpleasant things can get into the brain and create all sorts of consequences we don't want. So let's look at another approach of what we can do with our brain in the midst of all these various challenges. So today I want to introduce something to you that you may not be familiar with. It's called chiropractic neurology. And with us we have an expert in that area, Dr. Sergio Azzolino. He is an internationally renowned clinician who has been serving his profession and patients from around the world since 1995. In 2012, Governor Edmund Brown Brown, uh, appointed him to the California State Board of Chiropractic Examiners, and in January of 2014 and 15, he was elected chairman of the board of the uh, chiropractors in California. He holds board certification in chiropractic neurology through the American Chiropractic Neurology Board, as well as the board certification in pain management through the American Academy of Pain Management. He serves as the vice president of the American Chiropractic Neurology Board. He's an assistant professor of clinical neurology for the Carrick Institute of Graduate Studies, and their programs are very interesting. He's the executive director of the Brain Balance Center of San Francisco, which helps ADD, autistic kids, and it helps them reconnect their brain so they can function better. He was also voted Chiropractic Neurologist of the Year in 1999 by the American Chiropractic Association Council on Neurology. And he was also selected as Clinician of the Year in 2010 at the International Conference of Functional Neurology. He's the director of the Azalino Chiropractic Neurology and Integrative Wellness Clinic in San Francisco. And this is a multidisciplinary practice of functional neurologists, medical, and naturopathic physicians. And they specialize in the diagnosis, treatment, and rehabilitation of many conditions. So welcome, Dr. Azalino. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Well, thank you, Dr. Downs. Thank you for uh, all that you're doing with this show and really getting the word out there about what people can do to better their health. So we need people like you, and I'm very grateful for that. So thank you. 
Well, it wouldn't happen without pioneers such as yourself, because I bet most of our audience haven't even heard of functional neurology. But first, let's take a side note. What is the functional approach? What is functional medicine? Well, you know, as we move through the ages here, uh, you know as well as anybody that uh, the medical physician and allopathic medicine was really looked at the pinnacle of healthcare. And as we started to understand health and disease a little further, we started looking at the the body and the brain from a very functional perspective. There's a lot of things that lend itself to disease prior to having a hard pathology. So especially when we look at the brain, there's a lot of brain disorders from simple things like depression to, and I don't say simple to uh, say that it's a simple disorder, but uh, something that we commonly see, to balance disorders, to movement disorders, to dizziness uh, and things of that nature that don't are not as a result of a heart pathology, meaning a tumor or something of the sort. Same goes for functional medicine. Uh, we see a lot of endocrine disorders. We see a lot of different uh, toxicities in the body and whatnot that are, are not as a result of something that's hard, uh, a disease, a cancer or something of the sort, but it's something that is functionally fluid with the body. And as a result, we need to step back as clinicians, as physicians, and take a look at the body's uh, inner workings, at the body's metabolism, at the body's function, and really look at it from a functional perspective. Hence, Jeffrey Bland coined the term functional medicine or was the father of functional medicine um, you know, many decades ago. And Dr. Keg, Ted Carrick was uh, the father of chiropractic neurology, which began about 1983. Um, and since then, many people have been looking at the brain from a functional perspective. So functional neurology has become more of an accepted term uh, that, you know, encompasses a variety of different uh, people and practitioners that are looking at the brain very functionally. You mentioned the word functional fairly often. So by functional, I mean uh, what's going on underneath the hood and which direction the body's going and how it's performing, uh, even though we might not see any symptoms manifest when we're standing outside the car looking at it? Sure. You know, uh, when we look at functional medicine and functional neurology, it's, it, it really lends itself to people that are maybe asymptomatic, um, that uh, if we examine them, we see areas of deficits. But in functional neurology, we do treat many primary neurologic disorders. Um, the difference is that we're examining various functions of the body that we could, you know, dive in a little further from looking at their sensory system, their motor system, their balance and coordination, a variety of different very innovative tools that in functional neurology and chiropractic neurology, which can be used synonymously uh, by, and it is by many, can give us a good working understanding of various parts of the brain to see if they're functioning too high, too little. Um, we have tools that can give us very objective measures of these aspects, and that is why we say functional neurology, and in doing so, our goal has always and will always be to assess one's brain, understand what's working correctly, what isn't working correctly, see if we could identify areas of the brain and neurons, synapses, whatever it may be, um, different patterns of dysfunction, always to develop a better understanding of what can be done therapeutically. 
So, you know, we do serve as consultants as a medical neurologist would for many diseases, but our, our greatest benefit is really the therapeutic applications that we utilize and the interventions that we utilize that are non-pharmaceutical, non-surgical to really restore and improve brain function. As many speakers have said that we might be on the process of disease and increased risk for various ailments long before the doctor would notice it. For example, in diabetes, uh, you could be, be your blood sugars could be normal and the physician will miss it. Yet you could also be at the stage toward diabetes. We've got four times the risk of heart disease and and a, a multiplied risk for coming down with dementia. So it sounds like the same thing that uh, you're going to be assessing things under before the doctor in his noted office will get it with traditional blood test? Well, certainly, yes, because a lot of neurologic disorders don't uh, manifest as uh, ailments in the blood. Uh, people, you know, may describe bizarre sensations and feelings. Uh, they may have the beginning of dementia. Uh, you know, if we look at something as, as dementia that's so prevalent, uh, they may not manifest many signs besides a periodic lapse of memory. They may, um, you know, notice uh, things that will not lend itself to the traditional tests that most are utilizing. And so in functional neurology, we utilize some innovative tools. As I mentioned, one thing, for instance, is what's called a video nystagmography. And that is a tool that with some infrared goggles that are placed over the eyes, we could test a variety of different ocular motor functions, which means eye movements. We're not testing vision. What we're testing is how the eyes move because eye movements are generally represented by various parts of the brain, so we can look at the person's ability to keep their eyes still to trace something smoothly on the screen that we call smooth pursuits, to move their eyes rapidly in different directions, which we call saccades. And uh, we could test the vestibular system with spinning them with different head positions. So we could, through the eyes, we can get a great window of how various parts of the brain are functioning. So to go back to what I was saying with uh, something like dementia or Alzheimer's or if we look at a post-traumatic brain injury, which is an area that we spend a great deal of time with, we could see changes in the accuracy, changes in the velocity, the eye movements, changes in the latency, which is the reaction time. We could start seeing these changes in people's brains early on before they may manifest a full-blown illness. So is this a very objective, reliable measure of how various parts of the brain are functioning? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's uh, well said. You know, and uh, as I mentioned, we, we, when we're looking at the brain from a functional perspective, it lend, lends itself to being very useful if we look at the early young brain of a, a child, for instance, with ADHD or autism, whereas if you scan the brain, as many people are doing with MRI, which is a great tool, but if you scan the brain, the brain itself looks fairly normal. But if we test it from a functional perspective, certainly there's some traits that we see uh, neurochemically, um, but also when we look at the hard function of the brain, we can see some changes that are taking place, some areas of weakness with autism, with ADHD. And as we move forward through life, we also, an area that personally in my clinic we spend a great deal of time with is with a high number of professional athletes and elite athletes from around the world that are consulting our services and utilizing our services really to maximize their function. So 
we look at a brain and the function of a, an athlete, and on the outside, things may look perfect, but the difference between a second to them can be the difference between a gold medal or winning a Super Bowl or not, and to you and I, it may not mean anything. So we can examine them on a very in-depth level, looking at everything from the video nystagmography, looking at their balance and coordination, looking at their reaction times with their hand-eye coordination, their auditory reaction time, uh, their ability to move in certain patterns to see how far they can move and shift their weight pattern before they fall. So all these things can be extremely important for anybody in health and disease, but certainly for a professional athlete to maximize their performance. Um, and moving further through life, we see these changes with Parkinson's. We see it with people with balance disorders where you start to see shifts in their posture, shifts in their movements, shifts in their ability to execute smooth movement and recruit muscles. And so, once again, rather than treating a condition or a disease, we really want to develop a better understanding of what is working correctly and what isn't working correctly with the focus of putting together a very customized rehabilitation program that's going to benefit that individual. Um, Things like movement disorders, unfortunately, are on the rise. They're 30-year illnesses in many regards, and as we're living longer, many of us are going to be facing these things. So it's a good idea to have a good working understanding of where your strengths and weaknesses are physiologically and neurologically so that you can work on those things so when the eventual happens and we age, if we're fortunate enough to age, uh, we will, you know, be a step ahead of the game if we've already been working on issues such as coordination, such as balance, such as reaction patterns and whatnot. How exciting this is. So you can pinpoint specific regions of the brain that aren't functioning. Now, you mentioned MRI, and along with that, I have studied spec uh, studies and there's PET studies, and I understand those just tell you, like, glucose metabolism within the brain, for example, which would uh, show which parts are going to be vulnerable later on to weakness and Alzheimer's disease or whatever. But you can pinpoint more specifically uh, what areas are going wrong. I mean, do you work with PET scans? Is it a, a, I mean, that just adds more information or it sounds like you surpassed the information from these tests? Sure. Well, you know, I wouldn't say we surpass it um, because there's we order many, many MRIs. Uh, MRIs are great tools, and, and we're very grateful to have uh, those at our disposal. So we use that very regularly, and, but we generally will order an MRI if we want to take a look at the structure of the brain, if we're concerned about a tumor, if we want to take a look to see if the blood vessels are intact, if we want to ensure that there hasn't been a stroke or some other disease process that's affecting the structure of the brain. So it, it's indispensable. An MRI is indispensable. Um, very important. SPECT imaging uh, is, you know, widely utilized by the uh, Dr. Amon's group, and uh, we work uh, very openly with them. They're a bunch of great uh, physicians there. That's more looking at metabolism, as you mentioned. Um, great, great technology. I, I personally don't utilize it uh, as much uh, because when we look at metabolism, for instance, we can look at the metabolism of a muscle, but it doesn't really tell us about the strength of a muscle. And as much as I want to know about the metabolism of muscle, I'm more concerned about the strength. I'm more concerned about the power that muscle may have. So personally, I would rather test the power 
and the strength of the muscle. I would rather test the reaction time of the muscle. That's going to give me an understanding if I'm looking at an athlete on, you know, their integrity there. So the same applies for the brain. Um, we really want to test the various functions of the brain so that we have a good understanding, once again, of what is working correctly, what isn't, so we could design a protocol. Because if there's an area of decreased metabolism, as much as nutrition and science and things have come a long way, we know that we can give certain brain-based exercises to increase metabolism in that area, but we really don't know if we're hitting the target unless we look at the function of those various parts of the brain. So the brain, fortunately, has a pretty good map that tells us a lot about um, what we should and shouldn't be doing if we examine it appropriately. Now, for our listeners who, uh, you know, may decide they want to go to a neurologist or a, or a functional neurologist, what's the difference if they went to a mainstream neurologist versus a functional neurologist? Uh, you know, everybody has their place, and uh, once again, fortunately, the world of medicine is becoming integrative because, truly, um, there's not one person that can regulate everything in the body. So when we look at mainstream neurology, allopathic neurology, the typical medical neurologist, um, many people are utilizing them for certain types of interventions such as uh, pharmaceutical interventions, possibly diagnosis of various diseases that are are commonly seen. Um, In functional neurology, we may often see Similar diseases, but our, our approach is, as I mentioned, non-pharmaceutical, non-surgical. It's more rehabilitative. It's more um, looking at underlying causes. Uh, certainly, as you mentioned, there's a variety of toxins, a variety of uh, metabolic processes in the body, a variety of infections that can affect the nervous system. So not only do those things need to be addressed if they're identified, but oftentimes we have to do things to restore the function in the brain and guide the rehabilitation. So one thing with my team that we have together in San Francisco is we we have a physician that we that's in our office full-time. We have naturopaths that are in our office full-time. The physician deals a great deal with infections and hyperbaric oxygen and uh, a variety of different things. We have naturopaths that are dealing with the nutritional interventions, dealing with environmental medicine aspects, dealing with IV nutrients and, uh, you know, gut-brain interactions. And we have the chiropractic neurologist and the functional neurologist that are really focusing on the rehab. Uh, everybody's an expert in diagnosis because you need to know all of those things if you're really looking at the brain from a functional perspective. And our, our goal is really to evaluate people, identify what may be the cause of their health or disease, and really um, guide them appropriately. So what I've found very refreshing with integrative medicine is if you have the right players involved, you're going to be able to seek out the appropriate interventions rather than doing what uh, only one person does. So we still work with medical neurologists on a regular basis. Um, they're just uh, they're more approaching things from a, and I should say in all fairness, many of them are looking at the brain from a more functional perspective also, but most of them are still approaching health and disease via pharmaceutical intervention, which is what most medical physicians do. Sounds like you've got quite a team there. Sounds like a very powerful combination, your team that you have. 
Well, it's uh, evolved over the years just because I'm uh, very driven to just make sure we're providing the best for people. And there's a lot of things I can't do with my specialty and a lot of things others can do better. And if our focus is always on the patient and doing what's right by the patient, then, you know, an integrative team is, is what's necessary in my opinion. So suppose you find some, uh, you you uh, test somebody and you find that there's deficits in certain part of their brain. Uh, what do you do to rehab this or reverse it? Sure. So uh, quite simply, you know, let's talk about traumatic brain injuries because that's a perfect example of where there can be an insult. Everybody can agree on what the insult is or was. From many perspectives, people are looking at symptoms. We do a lot of pre-concussion screening to understand people's working memory, to understand what's called their dynamic visual stability, their balance and their coordination, their reaction times. We do all these things prior. We we hope and we would I would love one of my dreams is to have this mandatory for any child that is playing any contact sport. And so nonetheless when we have this data prior and someone has a brain injury a traumatic brain injury, commonly known as a concussion, many in medicine are really focused on symptoms. And as much as symptoms are important, we want to address symptoms, but what we want to do immediately is test their function once again because if we identify an area of weakness, for instance, with dynamic visual stability, with balance or coordination, with their reaction time, then we have a variety of different tools in the office that we utilize to put together a custom rehabilitation program. We have very sensitive balance platforms that once we identify where your weakness is, we can place you on that, put targets on the screen in those areas of weakness, force you to move your body, what we call proprioceptive input, which is also going to give you vestibular input, which is through the inner ear, um, force you to move your body in certain patterns to reach those targets. At the same time, we may put some artificial electric stimulation on your body that's going to artificially stimulate the nerves from areas of the body, maybe the feet, maybe the neck, maybe the arms, with certain frequencies that stimulate areas of the brain. We may put you in some glasses that are colored. Different colors affect different parts of the brain. The glasses may have flashing lights in a certain pattern, certain, you know, maybe on the right side of the eyes to stimulate over to the left brain, maybe a little higher to stimulate into what's called the temporal lobe, maybe a little lower to stimulate into the parietal lobe. So that's one thing we may do. We have also a variety of different uh, visual motor integration screens that deal with hand-eye coordination. We could, for instance, if we looked at you and identified that your eye movement patterns were slower following a concussion, which is very common. People's they commonly develop vestibular deficits, which means their balance and their coordination may be off. They will commonly, depending on areas of the brain that are involved, they may develop changes in their ocular motor patterns where they're not moving as quickly or they're not, their eyes are not as accurate or there's a delay in their reaction time. Then we could program lights on a screen. They may be lights. They may be letters. They may be images. In the fields of space where they need to really work to speed up those reaction patterns and they have to move their hands to these targets. So we could speed up their eye movements. 
We can improve the accuracy of their eye movements because the screen is going to give us the visual feedback. And we can do all of that at the same time that we have them on a balance platform that's really challenging their balance. So as you probably got the idea, we, the integrative approach, even from a neurologic perspective, is important because balance is not simply a product of the inner ear. Um, ocular motor movements are not just a product of the eyes. So when you approach the brain from that perspective, you're really going to maximize recovery, but you're also going to speed up that recovery. So does that give you a good idea on uh, so, some of the rehab so things we can do? We're coming close to a break, but if you, if you, okay, if somebody has problems with the balance and they've got problems with a certain part of the brain, you can fix these separately, and hopefully there'll be plasticity to help each of these areas, and some of your tests may integrate more than one area at the same time? Sure. Absolutely. And plasticity, and, as yeah. you know is uh, a matter of just increasing stimulation in these nerves to get them more efficient. And we want to do that early on in life. And one thing I'd like to say it's rather exciting is I've been to Dr. Azzolino's office and these glasses with the blinking lights that he can adjust the colors and the part of the brain that's stimulated, uh, you know, we can actually purchase these and bring them home and work on them. He also prepares exercises for our eyes that he can put on our iPads so we can work at it at home rather than just in his office. And I find that kind of exciting. Yeah, the key is really uh, just once we develop an understanding of your brain, then we can give you some very directed and specific things to do on your own. Um, there's not enough time in the world for the people that know this work to, to serve everybody. And so the more we can empower people to do things at home to plasticize their brain for the future, the better off we will be because most of us are hopefully going to live long enough uh, that we may have a stroke, we may have something you know, ill taking place to our brain, and the more plastic it is, the more efficient it is, just like with fitness, the more fit we are, the better off we're going to be when we cross that barrier or that bridge. Okay, well, we're coming up to a break now, so uh, we will take a short break, and Dr. Azzolino will, and I will be back right after the break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Become a member of voiceamerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit voiceamerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. 
Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. We'd love to hear from you about today's show. Send your email to Dr. Susan at OccupyHealth.com. That's Dr. Susan at OccupyHealth.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Occupy Health. This is Dr. Susan, and with me I have Sergio Azzolino, an expert in functional neurology. Now, he was discussing that uh, we can assess through various tests which parts of the brain are functioning or under-functioning. He can also, uh, functional neurology also can design tests to strengthen the parts that need to be strengthened. But um, I assume this is one size doesn't fit all. For example, say I've got glasses that are tailored to someone else's uh, brain disease. So if I put these on, it might do a lot of damage for me, right? Sure. The key, if I make it oversimplified, is really making sure that we have an understanding, as everybody should, have an understanding of your strengths and weaknesses so that things can be specific for you. If we want to maximize function, there's no point in wasting time on doing something that you're very good at if they have other areas that are very weak. So an in-depth neurologic examination will identify those weaknesses, and hence we can put together very customized programs. And as you mentioned earlier, uh, many of these things are things that people can do on their own at home. Now, I, from reading the book Disconnected Kids, um, I mean, he's, uh, the author was discussing uh, patients with autism or ADHD, and he was kind of saying that some parts of the brain are weak and some part of them are working too strongly. And he was saying that if you stimulate the parts that are too strong, you're going to do more damage. You need to find the particularly weak parts of the brain and stimulate them only. Correct. Well, yes, I mean, that's, that is an oversimplification. Certainly that book was written many years ago, and it was, uh, not, it, it's not based on functional neurology. It's, I, mean, the, I should say the basis is functional neurology, but it's really based on a system called the brain balance system. That's just a, uh, a system run by lay people for, to help out individuals with autism and ADHD and whatnot. Um, the idea is if you have, if, if you're trying to achieve a balanced brain, if you're trying to achieve optimum function, then you really need to identify the areas of weakness and and trigger those areas, rehab those areas. Certainly in some conditions, such as uh, balance disorders, if you have one part of the vestibular system that's over-firing, another part that's under-firing, and the people have this illusion of movement in the world when they move, when they change positions, then reinforcing the area that's working too much may certainly cause greater damage, may cause problems. It's no different than if, you're, if your arm is weak, 
and somebody just goes to the gym and keeps rehabbing muscles without understanding which muscles particular, particularly are weak, then they unfortunately may damage the joint because you may need to rehab just the extensor muscles, just the rotator cuff and the tricep, not the bicep, not the pec. So, this certainly uh, argues for the individualization uh, for each program to be tailored to the individual rather than borrowing someone else's program to try to get the brain in shape. Absolutely. I mean, one thing I tell my patients all the time, Dr. Downs, is, uh, you know, the body has a tremendous ability to compensate, as we all know. That's what allows us to be human. And the beauty of things, you know, we've all been in practice long enough that when someone has a stroke 30 years ago, People thought that that individual lost that function and that was it. Well, now we know that if you start rehabbing those areas of weakness, they will regain a lot of that function. So if you look at an individual that has a stroke or with many of these disorders, um, the body has a tremendous ability to compensate and people move throughout the world trying to mask their weaknesses. And that's good because that allows them to integrate into society um, and function as best as possible. Our goal is not to teach you how to compensate more, sometimes we may, but we generally want to identify your weakness so that we can really, in office and at home, have you maximize your weakness and really try to overcome it. So you're strengthening the weak areas. You're strengthening the weak areas rather than trying to generate plasticity for the brain to rewire itself to compensate for that. Well, plasticity is always good. We want plasticity, but... You want to have plasticity in the appropriate areas also. Uh, a pain syndrome, for instance, anxiety, you know, uh, these are examples of people that have plasticity, but they have plasticity in the wrong areas. They have plasticity in pathways dealing with the awareness, the recognition, the uh, sensitivity of pain or sensitivity of nerves. Um, and just generalized plasticity is a danger. So we want to do things in those instances to activate parts of the brain that inhibit pain, that activate parts of the brain that inhibit the limbic system in many regards, such as anxiety. Okay. Now, you can, uh, so we can strengthen parts of the brain, but let's assume that there's something that's causing these weaknesses. So don't we have to go to the source of the weaknesses uh, uh, in order to stop this, whatever's causing these weaknesses? Absolutely. Um, as you know, we haven't visited my office, and as I mentioned, we have a very integrative team. We're always concerned with what caused the illness to begin with, and so, you know, not everybody falls off a turn truck, hits their head, and uh, hence they have uh, a traumatic brain injury and injures themselves. Some people may have some rather mysterious illnesses, but we take a very in-depth look uh, metabolically. Uh, we look at everything from the basic metabolic panels that most physicians are going to look at, but we also do a lot with essential fatty acids, uh, which are extremely important for the stability of a neuron. And we look at a variety of different uh, genetic components that may lead people or predispose people to certain diseases because it's not the genes that we're going to change, but we get a good understanding of how they're going to react to toxins in the environment. And we look at a variety of different profiles dealing with toxicity, dealing with different types of environmental pollutants. There are, as you know, millions of these things 
from uh, pesticides, you know, household products to different types of environmental pollutants that are really chemically laden that are, you know, spoiling our food, our air, our water, and, and really accelerating chronic disease and causing a variety of different diseases. Um, we also spend a great deal of time looking at different infectious causes, tick-borne illnesses, um, commonly known as Lyme disease, are certainly... Uh, you know, on the rise on epidemic levels and unfortunately commonly unrecognized or misdiagnosed. Uh, Lyme is the great imitator. And so not only does one need to look at Lyme disease, they can look at other types of infections and certainly uh, another area that we deal a great deal with are, are environmental toxicities such as mold toxins. Mold can emit toxins that get into the nervous system to start to get into the brain and start to regulate the immune responses and whatnot. So if we see someone with ill health or disease, yes, we could always do something neurologically or oftentimes uh, do something neurologically to maximize their function, but we also want to have a good understanding of what may have triggered things because if we don't get down to the underlying source, their benefits may be limited. Um, or they may have a relapse or whatnot. And so, as I stressed earlier, the reason why I like such an integrative approach is because when we have everything at our disposal, we can examine somebody and honestly just direct them to what's going to be the most official or beneficial thing for them. Yes, many past speakers have mentioned that an occult infection can be the source of inflammation, oxidative stress, autoimmune disease, and could set off any chronic disease we can imagine. So finding these underlying infections sounds pretty important. What tests do you do to find all these things? Well, there's a variety of different tests. I wish there was one that was uh, just broad and encompass all of them. Uh, We commonly start off in regards to basic blood work with something called a Boston Heart, do you want me to name the specific uh, companies? Is that what you wish? Uh, no, I just just the test or the companies yeah, that, if that's you wish. Looking at the essential fatty acids, I mean, with the we, we check for Lyme disease, we look at a variety of different viruses. Uh, Lyme has uh, uh, a variety of different organisms that can trigger Lyme disease, but we generally so yeah. What and, test would we do to uh, to look at these? Because when I've gone to my physician, uh, it's been equivocal; they couldn't figure it out. Yes, so unfortunately, some labs, we utilize LabCorp and Quest Diagnostic, which many people know are just basic labs for a lot of different infections, for things like mycoplasma pneumoniae, Epstein-Barr virus, uh, uh, chlamydia pneumoniae, which is not a venereal infection, it's just a, that's the term, uh, herpes virus 6, which affects the brain, once again, not a, a venereal infection, toxoplasmosis gondii, which is a parasite um, we have a, a host of different infections like that that we look at through these basic labs because their sensitivity is adequate. But when it comes to Lyme disease, their sensitivity is quite poor, and so we utilize special specialty labs. And the specialty labs will look at not only the Borrelia organism, they look at what's called a IFA um, and also a Western blot. And you really need to look at a comprehensive approach if you're going to be able to accurately diagnose if the condition's there or not. So we don't utilize this traditional labs for those conditions because it commonly misses them. Um, Same thing when we look at mold toxins. Um, There's only, there's very few labs that will look at toxins emitted from mold. 
If we identify toxins, we'll in turn have people search their environment to see if there is a source of mold that they see. Not all molds are toxic, once again. And when you have these conversations with physicians, they'll commonly say, well, mold is everywhere in the environment. It certainly is, but not all molds are toxic. And just because you're exposed to toxic molds doesn't mean you're going to be ill either. Some people have... Uh, genetic predisposition that they don't clear these toxins well, and others, you know, clear them fine. So we'll look in the urine for mold toxins. If they're there, we'll have them not only look at the environment, but we'll have them swab their nose to see if there's any mold growing in their nose, and if so, there's appropriate pharmaceutical intervention for that. Uh, for in regards to genetic uh, profiles, I'm sorry, and uh, toxic profiles, we'll look at a variety of different things that will test everything from glyphosate to uh, 172 different environmental pollutants, and we also do toxic metal testing. You know, we're all exposed to metals, but you should, first of all, look at metals in the blood. If you look at them in the serum, it gives you about a three- to four-month exposure and most of us as adults are not being, uh, in the Western world at least, not being exposed to toxic metals at a high enough level to pick it up in the serum. So we generally will do a 24-hour urine collection, which shows how much they're dumping on a regular basis. Is that provoked? Is that provoked uh, because it could be a lot? Well, we do a 24-hour challenge first, just a, just a collection first to see what they're normally dumping, and then we will do a provocation with DMSA or DMPS or calcium EDTA, which provokes what we call chelation, as you know, but for your listeners, it will um, provoke the dumping. It chelates the, the toxic metals and cause them to start dumping in the urine, and then we collect urine for six hours. So it'll tell us what's in the serum, what the body's naturally dumping on its own, and what the body will dump if we provoke it or give it the assistance. So that gives us a good window on um, where people's toxic burden is coming from and what needs to be done to get them well. The interesting thing about toxins is lead could be in the bone and we won't know it. But when women start going through menopause and osteoporosis and the bone kind of weakens, a lot of this lead comes out into their system. So these uh, toxins can hide in various places. So it's important to look at what's in there. It's important to look in there. And, you know, the our, our naturopaths are excellent. They're, they're very in-depth at looking at an individual and determining if they're ready for that. You have to be careful with chelation because not everybody's body has the appropriate, uh, their channels of detoxification may not be clear enough. You know, detoxing is like uh, cleaning out your gutter. And so if the gutter's full, you don't want to start flooding the body with more toxins. So we may do things for several weeks from utilizing IV glutathione to a variety of different detox measures to get patients ready for those dumps. Yes, because uh, a lot of times when you try to detox, you can just move it from one place to another. It might end up in the liver or the brain. So, I mean, as I said, in homeopathy, you've got to have the channels for getting it out of the system. And if you don't, it's just like throwing a garbage can around in your garage. It's just going to bang around and not go anywhere. Um, you mentioned that depression is a brain disease. Can you talk a little more about that? Well, as you know, with depression, we can scan one's head and we will commonly not see areas of weakness uh, or, you know, a t- tumor or something of the sort. Uh, it's a functional issue. 
And, you know, the, the greatest challenge we all have is, you know, reality is what we see, what our brain sees through our individual eyes. And so certainly there's a lot of genetic, there's a lot of uh, environmental, there's a lot of uh, developmental basis for how we see the world. But what we commonly see with depression is there are some very specific areas of weakness in the frontal lobe and a variety of different integrated patterns from the cerebellum to the frontal lobe that people do well um, with increased stimulation in those areas. We know that they do well with exercise. Uh, Exercise, you know, truly is one of the things that most conditions benefit from. And, you know, that should beg the question, well, why? Well, the majority of stimulation into our brain comes from receptors and joints and muscles, comes from input from our eyes and our ears. And so if we look at the brain of a child, it is, you know, the sponge that's receiving input throughout all these systems. And one of the first things we start to see happen with these children is their eyes start to move. And as their eyes start to move, they start to wire certain neurons. And then next thing you know, those neurons fire areas of the vestibular system to uh, fire our neck muscles. And then a child starts to move their neck. Eventually, they start moving their arms. These neurons start to grow, and they start to fire their back muscles. Eventually, they're able to sit up and stand up, and they start to ambulate as, uh, you know, humans. Uh, you've heard the term, you know, once a, uh, or the phrase, once an adult, twice a child, because as the brain develops and people come upright, it's very important to understand that when they start to ambulate, Upright is when they start to gain fine motor control, when they start to lower their heart rate, when they start to improve their digestive function, when they start to gain bladder and sexual control. And various things can happen throughout life, can happen developmentally that slows down some of these patterns, and we can commonly, if we dig back with a history and examination, identify where these things occur. Or we could go throughout life and be exposed to these infections and toxins and and injuries. Uh, you can be in a car accident and damage how your neck moves, and that damages some of the proprioceptive input into your brain. As you decrease the proprioceptive input into your brain, you're going to see some changes in balance and posture and coordination. So these things are cumulative throughout life. And what can happen is, as you have these cumulative insults, you start to decrease brain function. One of the first things we start to see is a decrease in posture. We see rounding of the shoulders, we see. And certainly in this world with children being on their, their laptops and their screens and their smartphones, you see this very prevalent. You start to see a decrease in their stability, their postural control and whatnot. And you eventually start to see, if we fast forward, you start to see a decrease in their control over what's called their sympathetic nervous system, where their heart rate starts to elevate again. Their digestive function later in life starts to decline. Their motor control starts to decline. So when we look at a depressed brain, we will commonly see some of these patterns starting at a a relatively younger age. So it's not to imply that all depression can be fixed with just a functional neurologic approach, but there are nutrients that can help with depression. There are exercises that can help with the depression, and certainly it's incumbent upon the physician to evaluate an individual with depression to identify if there are other toxins or other types of um, things taking place that may be causing these issues. Yeah, I think I've heard some experts say that uh, depression is a sign of the beginning of a, a brain or neurological condition in the brain. 
I think I, Dr. Karazian said that in the past. So it's a signal that something's not going right. So there usually is some brain ba- uh, brain deficits that occur along with depression. There are, um, but to be fair, you know, unfortunately, many people have genes or an environment when they're developing that does not foster and does not cater to a healthy brain. So, you know, life can be challenging, and unfortunately we see a high number of people that have had things in their childhood that have caused some aberrant wiring of the brain or non-optimal wiring of the brain. So it doesn't always show a sign of something that just occurred and the brain starting to decline now. Sometimes it shows a sign of a brain that has been wired differently and, you know, hence can benefit from a variety of different techniques with neurofeedback and a variety of different techniques to in talk therapy to help people relearn some healthier patterns. So are you referring to things such as childhood abuse, childhood neglect, post-traumatic stress? Because uh, obviously yes. that affects the uh, hippocampus and it starts a chain of differences in the brain. Absolutely. You know, we were certainly the hot dog generation, weren't we? Um, we remember <laughs> leaded gas. We remember all these things that uh, we would be, we would cringe if our children were playing with things, these things nowadays. And certainly they leave their blueprint on the brain also. So are you saying for children to suffer from abuse and people who suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder, that balance in their brain will help these conditions as well? Yeah, we work a lot with uh, many of the, you know, the great men and women of our military services, and we certainly see great benefit with post-traumatic stress. Uh, we see great benefit with increasing stimulation of areas of the brain that will inhibit function. So you have a brain that's on fire, you have a limbic system that's on fire, meaning inflamed. You want to identify the underlying inflammatory causes, the underlying toxic involvement, but you also want to do things to promote better function in various parts of the brain that will naturally inhibit those areas. Uh, Impulsivity is a perfect example. Uh, You look at a child, they're very impulsive. Well, they're impulsive because their their limbic system is pretty wound up in their frontal lobe, which inhibits the limbic system, which is what many of us, uh, you know, attribute as as the human part of the brain. It's it's the 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 mature area that deals with executive function, deals with rational decisions, deals with you know many of the things as we call intellect. Well, the limbic system should inhibit various parts, I'm sorry, the, the frontal lobe should inhibit various parts of the limbic system. And when you look at the brain of a child, they do not have those pathways very plastic or plasticized, hence they're very impulsive. Well, following traumatic brain injuries, we see that impulsivity come back in many people. Following, uh, you know, an individual that's suffering from post-traumatic stress, we may see that impulsivity coming back. So do we want to give them a drug just to suppress their brain? and dull their brain and slow down all of their reactions, or do we want to help to rewire some of these um, parts of the brain and increase stimulation of those inhibitory pathways? Uh, The beauty of a functional neurologic assessment is we're not treating the condition. We're evaluating people with these conditions, identifying what their specific uh, function is, and then once again, 
we can give them very directed exercises. So we won't treat two people the same that have a post-traumatic head injury, we won't, just as we may not treat two people the same that have post-traumatic stress. To answer your question, yes, there's a great deal that can be done from a uh, neurorehabilitative perspective to help these conditions. Now, you mentioned impulsivity in children. I understand that children do not completely myelinate, which means have the protective coating around their nerves to the around 26. So you expect their decision-making abilities and their frontal lobe control to be slightly different. Well, absolutely. And we know myelin is uh, the majority fat. And we know that, you know, uh, you could... You know, I was just recently at a, a spectacular conference where the majority of physicians there were in depth with uh, mycotoxins and Lyme disease. We're talking about all these different things that we could do to support our mitochondria, and all brilliant. But we must understand that in order to increase our mitochondria, we need to stimulate it. And so stimulation, rehabilitation is key. You can take an individual that just takes performance-enhancing substances uh, such as an athlete, and it doesn't make them a good athlete. It'll make them stronger, but it also, they need to do things to rehab, and we need to do the same thing with the brain. We need to do things to stimulate the brain to improve the mitochondrial function to um, cause it to grow, to increase the numbers and whatnot. So one thing that we see from a neurologic perspective and I hope these two worlds will intersect much more so, is my practice has been busy with a great number of people with complex illnesses such as Lyme disease or other toxicities and biotoxin illnesses. And although they can be treated expertly to a point to where their disease is eradicated, to where their illness or their, their biotoxins are cleared, they may still have a lot of neurologic deficits. They may still have balance issues, they may still be dizzy, they may still have sensitivity to light, they may still have headaches and whatnot. And so I think it is a mistake just to treat these things without doing something to restore the function of the brain, because if these illnesses cause damage to the brain, then we need to do things to restore the function of the brain. Okay, so we're getting toward the end. So you're saying simulating parts of the brain will increase the mitochondrial function in that area, which is a good thing. But in the last two minutes, can you uh, describe other areas that uh, uh, this functional neurology can assist with and also give information on how people might contact you? Sure. Um, So our... uh Clinic is Asleno Chiropractic Neurology and Integrated Wellness in San Francisco. Uh, the website is www.azzolino, A-Z-Z-O-L-I-N-O.com. That's A-Z-Z-O-L-I-N-O.com. Our phone number is 415-563-3800, 415-563-3800. My email is Sergio, S-E-R. G-I-O, Sergio, at Azzolino.com. More than welcome to contact me. I'll be happy to direct people to the appropriate uh, functional neurologists throughout the world. We have a great network of individuals. Um, another website that can be very helpful at identifying chiropractic neurologists is the American Chiropractic Neurology Board. That is the, uh, the only uh, organization that's uh, approved to the American Chiropractic Association for overseeing specialties of uh, chiropractic neurology, and that is uh, www.acnb, American Chiropractic Neurology Board, acnb.org. So that would be a good resource. Um, 
happy to answer any questions. And, you know, I'd just like to stress that all of us can benefit just as we can from a functional medicine evaluation. We also can all benefit from having our brain looked at from a functional perspective so that we can understand what we need to do to maximize our function and moving forward in health and disease. Absolutely. Sounds so important because without our brain, we're, we are in trouble. So I would like to encourage our listeners to go do your own research, contact different practitioners, discuss it with your physician uh, so you can learn to help yourself and to help others as well. So be well. Thank you for listening. Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Here's to better health for you this week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.